If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit where we take a look at the issues both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. Our prayer here is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. As always, thanks everyone for coming in here and listening and taking the time off of your day. Maybe you're riding in your car. I think that's the best time to listen to this if you're taking a road trip somewhere and just want to hear some uh, some teaching. You can do some thinking. Um, I do a lot of that when I'm driving my truck listening to uh, good preaching and teaching from the Word of God. However, everybody's different. Some people prefer music. I kind of go back and forth. Sometimes music, sometimes I go back to the teaching of the Word. Having said that, today's subject, uh, I'd like to talk about what pure religion is. You know, we we talk about justification by faith, and justification is by faith alone. I, I still stand on that. So... But saving faith, saving faith produces works. It produces good works. Jesus said, bring forth, John the Baptist said, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Where's your evidence of your repentance? And so when a person has a repentant heart before God, a person living for Christ, um, he will live a life full of good works. And one of the areas we want to take a look at today in terms of good works is ministering to those who may be less fortunate than us, than others, or particularly you. Now, this is not just something for the rich. This is something for those like myself, say I'm middle class, and, you know, God has has blessed me. I'm not wealthy, but there are some things that I can do to minister to people who don't have. Now, the scripture we read, it was in James chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, I believe it is. And it talks about pure and undefiled religion. Now, let me make this clear. And I know people like say, oh, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a religion. And people say, oh, it's a way of life. Well, you can say that about Islam or any other religion. Uh, religion deals with our belief system of who God is and what God requires. Okay, so that's how I'm going to use it. And the Bible uses, uh, refers to Christianity as religion. Therefore, it is a religion. But I know people like to be super deep and say it's not a religion, it's a way of life, etc. Well, all religions are a way of life. You know, um, so that's not that, that, that doesn't, you know, when you say things like that, it doesn't mean anything. Having said that, in James one twenty two, it says, Pure and undefiled religion is to look after the orphan and the widow. A number of years ago, I was at a uh, rest area house. 
I stopped over there. I was a little hungry and took a little nap. And then I went inside to get something to eat. And it was around Christmas time, around this time. I was standing in line and there's a guy in front of me. And he starts to talk to the girl working behind the counter. Turns out, you know, asking her personal questions. And I, I started to get a little annoyed. I'm like, why are you asking her personal questions? Just order the food. Let's go. Because I'm hungry, right? Well, as he kept prying, and you know, how many kids do you have? And it turned out she was from Haiti. She had just come to the United States from Haiti. And um, single mother. She's working, you know, take care of her kids. I think she had like three or four kids she was able to bring with her from Haiti. And, um, you know, she just started working and, you know, and just hoping to, and he was asking her, well, you know, I guess you'll have a good Christmas this year. She said, yeah, well, I hope so. You know, I'll try and get my kids some nice things, you know, like my working at McDonald's knows, you know, at minimum wage, you're not, you know, especially if you're just starting out coming from Haiti, you know, um, you're not going to make that kind of money to be buying a whole lot of nice things for your kids per se. Uh, no, I don't know if she had family or what a, her living arrangements was. A lot of times your family brings you up here, an aunt, an uncle, a parent, or a brother who's already here. Um, uh, but be that as it may, the next thing I know, the guy in front of me, after he inquires of her and asks her certain questions, he pulls out of his wallet, I believe it must have been at least $500 or more, as, as Time was away from me. I can't remember the exact amount of money, but I'm pretty sure it was 500 plus. And he gives it to her. And he says, Merry Christmas. She started crying. I started crying. And she was so grateful. She wouldn't let me pay. She didn't want me to pay for my meal. You know, I had to haggle with her. I said, listen, you know, this is your blessing. God has done something for you today. And, you know, I know you want to give back, you want to pay it forward, I get it, you know, but I don't want to take anything away from you and your children, so, and I'm good, you know, thank God I'm working, I'm, I'm all right, I, got, I can buy my meal, you know, um, maybe one day you can do something for someone else, or if you want to pay it forward, do something nice for your children, make sure your children have a good, great Christmas. So, that... But one one of the things that came to my mind when he did that, I, I remember praying to the Lord. I said, Lord, that's me. I That's the kind of heart that I have. I want to be in a position one day to be able to do that, you know, um, for, for for people. Now, when I say one day, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm taking it to the extreme. I'm like, man, Lord, if I was super wealthy, just think of how many times I could just randomly bless people, you know, at random that, you see, legitimately are working and doing everything they can to to get a better life. Um, and they're trying. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, I know some of you thinking, oh, handouts. Well, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. But having said that, in this context, I'm, right now I'm talking about people who were working hard. But they're struggling. They're trying to make ends meet and doing the best they can. They aren't lazy or anything. They just are struggling. And um, I said, well, that's where I want to be. And, you know, one day I want to be in that position. That's what I said one day. We'll get back to that in a little bit, too. But pure and undefiled religion 
one of the, 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 the disciplines of a disciple, if you're a disciple of Christ and you're under the discipline of the gospel, one of the things that Christians should be practicing is good works, such as looking out for the widow and the orphan. Now, let me explain to you who the widow and the orphan is. If you were a widow, that is a woman who had a husband, he died, but now you're by yourself. And if you don't want to see what that looks like, go to the book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi lost their husbands, and um, one decided to go home, and the other one decided to follow, to stay in Israel. And eventually she ends up marrying Boaz and becoming the great-grandmother uh, of David. Um, but again, um, the widow, if you were a widow or if you were an orphan, well, kids, just children, children in general, even if you're not an orphan, kids have no political power. They can't make the decisions, the political decisions that are going to affect the city. Even here in America, we vote, but minors don't vote. They don't have a say-so in how the country is run until they get into adulthood. So when I vote, I try to be the voice of my children and because they can't speak, so I have to speak for them as the adult when I vote or do anything politically. So it's those without political or economic power, to put it in a nutshell. If you were orphan or widow, you had neither political nor economic power. When Ruth uh, returned to Israel and God made provisions, he said that when you harvest, you're supposed to leave a certain amount of the harvest for the poor and for those who or unfortunate, don't have farmland, or for whatever reasons are falling on hard times, leave something in the field for them. And of course, Ruth would come and she, she'd gather up whatever was left over in the fields because she was poor. And that's where Boaz saw her fall in love, and we know the rest of the story. But even in the Old Testament, God made provisions, uh, made sure that the nation would make provisions for the poor. And one of the things was they're supposed to leave a certain amount of crop, part of their crops in the field or whatever, to make sure that those who didn't have could have something. And God has always been concerned about the poor and the needy. Uh, one of the things I, you know, people want to talk about Christianity and war and all the kind of things that allegedly Christianity is supposed to have caused. But if you look around the world, particularly in Africa and some in other parts of the world, Look at all the hospitals in some of these countries. The only hospitals or the first hospitals were built by the church. Uh, cl uh, clinics, medicine. Um, you know, when I interviewed uh, Dawn Hill the other day, uh, she talked about going, she's, a, she's a, uh, a, a veterinarian. And so she went to Africa and did some missions and helped, you know, take care of that, teach them how to take care of their animals right, for the farms, because we can't have the animals dying if the farmers is depending on these animals to plow the fields or for food or whatever. And so they had to show them how to, you know, uh, care for these animals properly so that um, they can maximize their farming. But a Christian should be one who does good works, is my point. So let me ask you today, are you, what good work are you doing? What type of outreach are you doing? I know the church that I'm a part of, they've been feeding the community since, 1960, since the 1960s up to this day, even in the midst of the pandemic. 
um, particularly when there's a crisis, the, our, the church goes into full feed the community mode and we were able to bless people. Um, I have another friend, a pastor friend of mine with his church, he buys people turkeys, you know, for the holidays. Uh, I remember one year we got, on my job, we got gift certificates for, you know, for a turkey. So initially I was kind of, I was, I, you know, some of the guys started complaining and I was, I was right there with them. I was just as bad complaining about these, you know, man, we need a bonus, you know. And then a thought, thought occurred to me, somebody had mentioned, they knew a woman who had, who was a widow, who had uh, six children, six or seven children, and they needed some food for the, for the holidays for Thanksgiving. So I said, you know, so I just said it out loud without thinking. And I wasn't trying to convict anybody or anything. I just said, you know what? I think I'm going to, I know this lady at our church, she's going to need some uh, turkey. So I'm just going to give this, you know, to her. I'm going to go ahead and get, use a coupon, get the free turkey, and then give that to her for her, for holidays for her and her children. And I guess everybody else got kind of convicted. So the other guys just gave me their, their, um, their gift certificates as well and said, you know, well, if, you, if, you, if your church is going to give out food, then here's some gift certificates, get some free turkeys and give out to people. Now, remember earlier I said, Lord, if, you know, I wish that was me. I wish I could do that. Well, that's what we all do. And we think that we have to, what I was really projecting was, that, you know, Lord, if you make me wealthy, yeah, this is what I'll do with the money when you give it to me. But you know what? You don't have to become super wealthy to be able to do good things and do do good works. You can just do good works. You know, just do what you can is, is, is what I've learned, what the Lord has taught me over the years. No, I can't pull out a water for $500 and just drop it on somebody like that. Uh, but however, I can be a blessing to someone. You know, if I'm in the restaurant and if you notice, you know, they call it reading the room, read the room. If you're looking at the at the waiter or the waitress and they're having a hard day and they're struggling, um, but you see the person's really trying their best, you know, to, to do their job and do it well. Um, and nobody, you know, they might be making mistakes or you just, you know, they're struggling or whatever reason, but you, you can tell, you know, you can ask questions and stuff. And, um, you know, I've seen, you've seen all some of these videos on Facebook where people have done that. Um, you know, where, uh, the guy discerned, you know, I see you're struggling today and have a kind of a hard time and you kind of talk to them a little bit and kind of get a feel of where the person's head is at. And if you feel that it's right, if you feel the leading of the Lord, you know, give them a nice fat tip. You know, you can throw them $50, you can throw them $75, $100, you know. Don't say, ah, you know, she don't deserve that. He don't deserve that. You know, you don't know what people are going through. You really don't. You know, and I'm not talking about a slacker. You know who the slackers are. We're not talking about that. But, uh, and you can tell when somebody's really busting their their hump, so to speak. Um, and really trying to get things, you know, do the best they can. Then you bless them, especially around the holidays. People need those little extra blessings. You know, um... Something for the mailman, a little extra for the male person. Um, and they don't have to be poor as in like dirt poor. But but as believers, we need to ask God for opportunities where we can financially bless other people. Enough with always sowing into the ministry and the man of God. Um, and I'm not saying we shouldn't sow into the church. Give, give money to the church. 
because if you want church to do good things, like like I said, my church feeds people well, they're, they're going to be feeding people. I have to put money into the church so they can get, get the food to feed the people. So that's, I'm not talking about that. But I think sometimes we get a mindset that that's the only place that we can sow. Um, but you can, you can give to other people. I know another, another, uh, sister, her and her, her daughter would just make food, just make plates of food or whatever they had. You know, you can't make, you can't feed everybody, but get what you can. And they would just go into the city and just started giving out food to the homeless. Um, and ministering to him that way. Uh, uh, nobody should out, outdo the church when it comes to good works like that. And now, we're going to talk a little bit about, about that. Because I know what some of you are thinking. Well, you know, they're, they're just going to eat the food. They're just going to take your stuff and they're not going to get saved. That, that, and, and you're right. You're right. If, if everybody our church fed over the years had got saved and stayed in the church, we would be busting out of the seams. We wouldn't have enough room. We'd have to like have like these large mega churches, several campuses. Okay, so we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to the motivation, but that'll be in the next segment. I'm just saying for right now, we should do good works, and when you're able to, even in, within the context of the church, start start in the church. Charity begins at home, right? Start in the church. You know, a brother or sister struggling or whatever, you know, you, you know, Pentecostals like to call it a Holy Ghost handshake where you shake their hand with some money and it, you slip some money into their hand, you know, to be a blessing to them. And, you know, and I'm talking about legitimate stuff. I'm not talking about just random whatever, but just, you know, you know, there's some legitimate needs there and the person may not want to ask for funds. I know when I was in the hospital with my gallbladder, um, you know, there was an individual in the church that just kept cash apping me and i and it wasn't a little bit of money either and remember now i'm not working so i'm 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 a absent i'm on leave took a leave of absence from work because i got to recover from my surgery but i'm not getting any money coming in nothing you know every, the payday comes around at zero dollars and zero cents so what am i supposed to do and this person actually by giving me a substantial amounts of money and I didn't ask him to. I didn't call anybody on the phone. I didn't tell anybody. Could you please? I, I asked them nothing. They just gave. And for that, I am grateful. Um, I hesitate to call names because then, you know, some people like to give and remain anonymous. So out of respect for that, I won't call names. But having said that, but I was, there was a blessing to me. Um... You know, which for me, I'm, I'm on the other end. I mean, we didn't talk a little bit about that. I, it's hard for me to be on the receiving end of that because I like I'm I'm a giver, I'm a natural giver. But you should you should be able to feel free to give and to bless people, and um, and really allow God to to use us. A pure and undefiled. This is what it says here: pure and undefiled religion. What does a pure religion look like? One that is generous in its giving. And in, in reaching out to the, those without political or economic power and ministering grace to those individuals, whether it be financially, through prayer, getting them something that they need, you know, um, you know, hey, you know, somebody's in college and, you know, you might want to go down there and, you know, bless somebody's going to school, you know, struggling and, 
you know, um, be a blessing to them. I'm talking about, you know, people that you know. Um, but you want to be a blessing to those individuals. You want to be a blessing to, and of course, you know, there's always people in other nations and poorer countries like Haiti, etc. And when I was in Haiti, I gave a kid $5. You think I gave him a million? And when we went to Haiti, we packed up candy and stuff for the kids and a hard candy because they don't get a lot of that down there. And uh, we put them in, in uh, Ziploc bags, whatever, and handed them out. And yes, we ran out and and then the team uh, brought a sufficient amount of food. We fed the orphans, we fed the church and had some food left over to help feed the, the surrounding community. Um, and then we ran out after a while. We gave out everything that we had and some of the, the team members were upset because they wanted to be able to, there were so many more people that we just couldn't help. And I like what the team leader said. He said, we don't want to get a Messiah complex. We're not Jesus. Um, we do what we can. And that's what I want to close this segment out with. Do what you can. If it, you can only give $5 and do the $5 thing. If you can only buy somebody lunch, you know, once a week or whenever, um, that's okay. Just do what you can. You don't have to pull out the $500. You don't have to be exorbitant. You don't have to go, you know, crazy. You're not building a hospital. But you do what you can. But Christians should be a people who reach out to the poor and to the needy. This is what I'm talking about. We need, we, our faith is a faith of good works. It's not enough to just say, you know, me, 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 me. It's, a, it's about giving so that God can, uh, you can demonstrate the love of God to other people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly. Amen. The poor you have with you always. One of those scriptures people take out of context as a justification for not doing anything for the poor. Well, and I've heard this all the time. Well, I don't care how much we give or what we do to the poor. The poor will always be here. And we can't, we can't help the poor. Jesus was not telling us to, to not help the poor be, by saying that well, they're going to always be here. The context suggests that she did something costly for him because he wasn't going to always be there. So since you don't, you have a limited time of access to me, now is the time to do whatever you're going to do. But once I'm gone, the poor, the poor are going to be here and you get right back to helping the poor. No, we're not going to eliminate poverty. Poverty is never going to be eliminated from the planet. Uh, that that's that's a, that's a fact. Um, 
that's just the way it is. And sometimes I think I cannot prove this. Please do not. This is not necessarily uh, Bible. This is just me talking. But I think sometimes God allows the poor to stay here because He wants us to learn how to be unselfish and do something to help someone else uh, less fortunate than ourselves. So having said that, if you go to the uh, sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, when Jesus is, uh, it says, in, it opens up by saying Christ was healing all manner of sickness and diseases, and the crowds are following him. And then later on, he feeds them, and the crowds follow him again. He says, okay, you're not following me for the healing now, you're following me for the food. So what's your point, Brother Ryan? Well, my point is this. Jesus was feeding the hungry and healing the sick and doing good to the, to the very same crowd that a couple of weeks later were going to be screaming, crucify him, give us Barabbas. None of these people were going to come to his defense during his trial. And with 100% knowledge of this, Christ fed them and he healed them. He healed the 10 lepers and he knew only one was going to come back and say thank you. And only one did. So Christ healed people who were ungrateful. Christ healed, fed people who were going to turn on him. On, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and broke. And then he gave the cup. He had the first communion with his apostles. And the Bible says Judas, the devil, had entered into Judas. This was not a demon. He was not demon-possessed. This is the devil himself, top dog, the one. Okay? So this is like DEFCON. The devil just went DEFCON. He said, I'm not sending no demons for this one. I got to do this myself. Okay? That's how deep this thing was. And it says the devil entered Judas. So here Jesus is giving communion and washing the feet of every man who is possessed by the devil. Yeah, I just stopped. I just paused to let that marinate for a minute. So he was feeding people. They were all going to forsake him. One was going to deny him. And another one was going to betray him. And there was one there who, after he got resurrected, wasn't going to believe him. And he's washing the feet of these people. Why would God do this? What was the purpose of miracles and everything? I mean, people think miracles, if, if we saw more miracles, I hear this all the time. If we saw more miracles in the church, then people would get saved. We ain't got no power. We ain't casting out demons. We ain't healing the sick. That's why nobody's getting saved. And yet Jesus cast out devils. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry miraculously. He performed all kinds of miracles that blow you know, the weak. We're not even doing. I know some people like to make these fantastical claims, but they're not doing what Jesus did. No, nobody is doing what Jesus did. I don't care who who they are, what claims they make. Having said that, with full knowledge of the, of what they were going, how they were going to turn on him, he did it anyway. Why then do we feed the poor? Why then do we pray for the sick? Why then do we ask God to heal? And why do we build hospitals? Why do we have orphanages? Why do we, uh, you know, give out Holy Ghost handshakes? Why do we bless people who are sinners? That's right, you heard me. Sinners, not just saints. Sinners. 
Why do we bless these people? Why do we do good to them? We, a part of our mandate is to demonstrate to the world what God is like. For God so loved the world that he gave. He loved, therefore he gave. And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You, I don't care how many people you feed, the majority of the people that you do good things for will probably never, ever either get saved or you won't be around to see them get saved. Let me say that again. The people that you're going to do good works for will probably never get saved or you will not be around to see them get saved. You might, but then again, might not. You said, Brother Reimer, don't we want people to get saved? Yes, you better believe I do. More than anything. But we are also to demonstrate the love of God before the world and put the love of God on display for the world to see. To reflect what God is like. Uh, let's, let's take a case in point. Moses. God told him, speak to the rock. And instead, he, see, he the people, you know, Pushed his, got on his last nerve, pushed his button. And what did he say? Shall we fetch you water from the rock? Here, drink ye rebels. And he smote the rock. And then God says, you know what? You didn't follow instruction, Moses. This is the most humble man ever. God said Moses, nobody was more humble on the earth than Moses, okay? But even he messed up. And... God says, you can't go into the land. And, and then the question is, well, why wouldn't God let him go in? And God said this. Here's, here's the words of God said. You did not sanctify me before the people. I wanted to show the people that I was long-suffering and I was a patient God. And instead of you showing my long-suffering and, and sanctifying me before the people, that I'm different I'm not like these other gods that are petty and cruel, these other false gods that are petty and cruel and treat people and, and do mean things to, to people. I want to show them my loving kindness and my patience and long suffering. Instead, by you striking the rock, you reflected to them that God is angry, that I was mad. So you communicated something to them I did not want you to communicate. I wanted to see the, 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 this side of me. God has longed to show to the world his loving kindness and his compassion, his grace and his love. And, but then he's also a God of justice. And so when, you know, God has to bring justice in the earth into the universe. And that was a dilemma. How do I show compassion and love to these people and bring justice at the same time? Well, Christ answered that problem. Mercy and justice have kissed, this says in the book of Psalms. The two things that seem to be diametrically opposed to the other came to come together in Christ. God's wrath is satisfied, and at the same time, he can, now he can show mercy. That's what God wants. And so the church, just like Moses, we are to reflect to the world what God is like. We are not to strike the rock. We're not to say, separate the families at the border. No, that is not Christian. If you're saying separate families at the border... Just because they're illegal, that is not Christian. Sorry, wrong. That's right, I said it. That's my position. I stand by my statement. Not changing it. Not backing off of that.
If we're saying, you know, there's an invading horde coming up from the, from, coming up from the, down south to the country and people are seeking a better life, whether they're coming to sell drugs or whatever, we are to show the love of God to those individuals. The church should be there with food and clothes and reaching out in love, not cheering the governor on when he puts him on a plane and tricks him on a plane and sends him to, to another state and they get there and they've got nothing and don't even know why they're there or been lied to us to just to get them there. That Those are not Christian behavior, sorry. I reject that as unchristian. And no Christian church or minister should be supporting that kind of nonsense. It is ungodly. Pure religion is to look after those that are political and economic power. So the people who are coming here, these immigrants, have no political or economic power. The Bible says you look after them. God told Israel that, you know, remember that you were slaves in Egypt at one time. And so when the foreigner or the stranger comes into the land, you treat him properly with justice and in the correct manner. That's what the Bible says. Now, if you say you're a disciple of Christ, then let's be the disciples of Christ. And not allow the world, our own culture, or our own political party or, or proclivities impact the way we treat other people the greatest the greatest thing i know a lot of times we talk about our our relationship with god but our relationship with god is reflected on how we relate to the people around us how you treat other people don't tell me that you're a christian and you're a godly person and you love jesus and you're worshiping god and you shut in and you lock up and you doing all this fasting and praying and you hate your brother the bible says that you hate your brother how can you say you love God whom you have not seen when you hate your brother whom you've seen who's right there in front of you? The demonstration that we love God is how we treat other people, particularly those less fortunate than ourselves. And we, or do, we do good to them, not because they're going, and, and, and the criteria should not be that they get saved. Well, you know, I, I, you know I'm helping this guy and he ain't got saved. He don't want to come to church. That's not the criteria. You help that individual because God commands you to, period. If they never come to church, if they never get saved, you help that person. You do what you can to show that person the love of God. That's your mandate. That's your calling. That's right. I stand by that statement. I mean exactly what I said. That's my position, and I believe that it's, that it's a biblical position. Now, the next thing is people are going to say, well, should you let people take advantage of you? No, I'm not telling you to let people take advantage of you. And you know when somebody's just taking advantage. You, you know that. And you just use a little bit of common sense. But that does not now mean we should not continue to do good. Sometimes if people try to take advantage, you stop them and I say, hey, you know, I, I, when I used to take the train, sometimes I stop off and I, I, I'd find some people and I'd just buy them lunch or whatever. I don't give them money because you give them money, you know they're going to go get high with it. So... You know, I wasn't going to do that. But if you're hungry, I'll, you know, hey, let's, all right, let's go over here and buy some, buy, I'll buy you a meal. You know, I'll look out for you like that. Um, so yes, you can use a little bit of common sense and a little bit of, and use some wisdom. So I'm not talking about being reckless. But you, you know when somebody, you know, is on the up and up and you can really help them out when you can and when somebody's just trying to use you. And I confront them when people try to use me or take it, take my kinds of, you know, I, I forcefully confront, I confront them. 
When I say forcefully, I mean I, I told her, I said, no, you know, you're just trying to use me. You know, I want to help you and I'm going to do what I can. But, you know, um, here's what I can do. Now, if you want more than that, I can't do more than that. Right? Don't let people push you beyond your, cap your, your capabilities. If you can only give them $2, then just give them the $2. And don't let them guilt you into giving you 5 Just give them what, just do what you can. And what you can do, let them know, you know, and stand firm on that. I can't do that. But this is what I can do. And don't feel bad about it. That's okay. So I'm not talking about being doormat and let people just walk all over you. you can, when people try to use me, I shut them down. Right? I let them know, I see your game. I see what you're trying to do here. You know, and that's not going to work. I'm, I want to help you. I want to be a blessing to you. But but if you're going to try to use me, but I'm not going to let you use me. So, you know, so when I can bless you and I'm going to help you, I can. But, you know, uh, don't try to use me because it's not going to work. Because you're just going to you know, cut yourself off at that point. So... But we want to reflect to the world what God is like. And so whenever we can do good, we should do good. And we should reach out. And like I said, I'd like to see Christians have ministries. And I'm pretty sure some do. I just don't know who they are. But you need to have ministries at that border. Great time for ministry to get people, you know, uh, to introduce people to Christ. Um, are they all going to come to Christ? No, but you can introduce them to Christ. And then, you know, some will get saved and some won't. That's just par for the course. But one thing they'll remember, the kindest people in the world, the people who were kind to me, were Christians. The real Christians now. They were kind to me and they were good. These people right here. And that's a reflection to reflect to people what God is like. And his goodness and his mercy and his grace. But we can't get hung up on, they're not getting saved. So therefore now we can't. I'm not doing this unless people are going to get saved. That's not how the Bible teaches us. It teaches us to do good works regardless because God makes his reign to fall on the just and on the unjust equally. He doesn't say, well, they're not going to get saved, son. They don't get any rain today. They don't get any food. They don't get any crops. Well, they're LGBTQ, so we're not going to help them out. We're not going to do anything for any any of those individuals. No, when the rain comes, the LGBTQ get the rain, the sinner gets the rain, the, the the girl who just had an abortion, the abortion clinic, they all get the rain, and they all get the food, they all get the blessings from God, whether they deserve it or not. That's not what grace is, saints, undeserved merit, undeserved favor. We didn't deserve to get saved. God should have struck us dead, I know he should have struck me dead a long time ago. But in his mercy and his grace, instead of killing me, he saved me, for which I am grateful. Okay, so, and such were some of you. You look at you, yeah, but such were some of you. You also did some of the same foolishness. Now all of a sudden, you're too deep. And think that, you know, you don't need to, to be saved or to do, do what is right. All right, so... That's dealing with our motivation for giving and being a blessing to other people. Pure and undefiled religion is to look after those without political or economic power. Whether it's through your church, whether it's, you just do it as an individual or, or with a group or whatever. You know, maybe just one day just, you know, cook up some food and get together with some people in your church, talk with your pastor about it and just go out in the streets and just 
you know, find some homeless people and just feed them. Um, and do it and do what you can do. Uh, it's amazing, you know, uh, without, like I said, again, with my church and my organization where we've had uh, outreaches in, in different cities. One of the things is that we, you know, we've gotten bicycles, we've gotten gifts from Walmart and all these other places that just give to the organization so that we can give away for gifts or whatever and food and everything because um, they want to, you know, be do these it's just good business for them and you know and so they'll give to the churches sometimes if they know that you're going to be out there actually doing something to benefit the community and sometimes you can ask them for donations and they'll donate food they'll donate hamburgers hot dogs whatever and that's a tax write-off for them thank god for that in this country you can get tax write-off for those types of things and be a blessing to uh, other people so by all means, uh, saints, we need to be a caring, giving people, and, we, and it needs to be reflected in how we give and minister to one another and to uh, those people who are outside of the household of faith. And we bless. The Bible says, Give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom. Um. So it, it, it's a command to give. God's not asking, we give. And yes, God does give the promise, giving it shall be given to you. But that's not our major motivation for giving. We give whether people give back to us or not. And by the way, when it says giving it shall be given to you, that does not mean money cometh to you. I'm not talking about that foolishness. God blesses you in other ways. It may just be good health. It may just be, you know, a blessing your son gets into school or something. like. I don't know. I don't know how that works in terms of of um, ways in which God can let that thing boomerang at you. But it is not always monetarily or with money. Keep that in mind. And that's secondly, that's not our motivation for giving. But I said that because it's in there. And what I decided is when I teach, if something's in the scripture, I'm going to say it, whether whether we you know, whether it's something that we, we want to push or not. But we give because God calls us to give, and it's the right and proper thing to do, regardless of whether we get back anything or not. In fact, there's another scripture that says, give expecting nothing in return. And he says, if you give to those, only to those who, who love you, what reward have you? Yeah. Well, I mean, how, how are you better than anybody else? The sinners give to people who are their friends. But Jesus said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them who despitefully use you. Yeah, there's a real test of your Christianity. And I'm not saying this stuff is easy. I'm just saying it's there. That's what it says. And the Bible says what it says. Pure and undefiled religion is to care for the fatherless and the widow, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Or be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold, to make you like think the way that they think. You know, we all have our cultural proclivities. Our culture says, that, you know, this is right, this is wrong, or whatever. But 
and that's fine up and up until it the Bible goes against something in your culture. And believe me, if you has if you haven't noticed it already, there are some things in your culture that and I don't care what culture it is, that the Bible is gonna go against. And that's what it means to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Worldly thinking, worldly perspectives, worldviews that don't reflect uh, the Judeo-Christian worldview. We move away from those things and keep ourselves unspotted from those things. Um, what are some of these influences that are out here now that I think that are very dangerous for us now uh, in the church that, that's worldly? And when people think worldly, they think smoking, drinking, partying, carousing, um, you know, that, those types of things. But worldly can be, um, those, are, those are the things that are more obvious, that, you know, easy for a Christian to spot, spot something like that and say, hey, you know, no, no I'm, not getting, I'm not getting caught up in that. But on the other hand, uh, the other thing that we have to look at is the more subtle things that we don't that we don't notice um, that are cre have crept into the church or has impacted our thinking uh, in the church, and so you may have some new age practices and new age thinking uh, that has crept into the church, and it sounds biblical, sounds Christian, and you're saying to yourself, "Oh, you know." I don't see anything wrong with this. Um, but yet, you know, um, when you put it against scripture, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't cut mustard, uh, so to speak. And so as believers, we don't pursue things that the world pursues. Uh, we pursue, we look, remember I told you before, we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. So this is not our final destination. Yes, we have to leave here. So you, you get gainfully employed and you, you, you do what you're supposed to do in terms of taking care of your family and your children, etc. But you just don't think and act and behave in ways that the world does with its own set of values and, and beliefs. And so as Christians, we walk a different path. We live, live a different lifestyle. We, we are a peculiar people. We stick out. I remember it was a company uh, party one time. I've had a couple of company parties, um, you know, that I've been to um, with my wife. And people, you know, noticed that we weren't doing certain things. Like, for one thing, we weren't drinking. And people was like, oh, you know, you all must be religious. Now, we never said we were religious. We didn't tell anybody we were Christians. In fact, we weren't telling anybody in the party how to live or if they want to get on the dance floor, do whatever they want to do. That's them. I was just simply there because, you know, I tried to make contact with people. Um, and, you know, Jesus was where sinners were at. So, hey, that, that's where I'm at. And uh, I try and be an influence and salt and light wherever I can be. But you don't have to you know, start to preach a whole sermon to for people to figure that out. And of course, naturally, they figured it out. And they were like, okay, the, this couple here is different. They're not doing certain things, you know. And But I would have nice conversations with people and everything else. Just like when I was in high school, I went to my high school prom. Um, 
you know, and, you know, I just hung out with my friends, we laughed, we joked, we talked about whatever, but, you know, after a while, you know, when they, when they're ready to go do whatever it is they do that's sin, you know, I, that's when I dip, all right, I'll catch you guys, I'll see you tomorrow, I got on the bus and I went home, and I was, and I was fine with that, it wasn't, it wasn't a problem. But Christians, we don't allow the keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We don't let the world squeeze us into its mold and make us do things that are uh, that are ungodly, um, or do things that are, like I said, are, are subtle. For example, we we don't Christians don't do astrology. No, astrology is a form of, of, of divination and witchcraft. You know, I'm not I'm not looking in my horoscope. You know, that's letting the world squeeze you into its mold. It's subtle, but you know, well, you're you you boys at timber, you whatever da da da. You're you're Libra, okay, you're fine, well and good. But I'm, I'm I don't read the horoscope. I don't get up in the morning, and pull out the paper. And by the way, if you want to prove easy proof that a lot of that stuff is malarkey, uh, get several newspapers from different states. You know, St. Louis Post Dispatch. You can get the L.A. Times. You get the uh, Chicago Tribune, for example. And if you look in the astrology section under any particular sign, they don't they don't agree. The one for Libra in Chicago is different from the one for Libra in L.A. They don't agree. They don't coincide. So, yeah, that's how you know it's a lot of bunk. But e either way, as Christians, we don't practice that. Um. You know, and so those are subtle, some of the more subtle ways in which the enemy uh, drags us into things. So Christians will be doing astrology, you know, and you don't think anything's wrong with that, you know. Um, and so you kind of let your guard down. And before you know it, you do occult practices. If you, another thing that has crept into the church is declaring and decreeing. When you start declaring and decreeing and speaking things into existence, etc., that's metaphysics. There's nothing in the Bible that says you're supposed to do that. The Bible says God spoke the universe into existence. And let me make this clear. Only God can speak and things happen. You can't speak and make things happen. I don't care how much you declare and decree. And, and in fact, to show you how dangerous that doctrine is, or that belief is, and it's a, it's a, it's a secular worldview, it's not a Christian. You find it in the book, The Secret. So it's a secular worldview, it's not a Christian. So I don't know why we adopted that. But be that as it may, it, it, what's dangerous about that doctrine is it, t it's, it tells you not to. After a while, people start, I've heard some preachers say, well, don't pray and don't ask. Stop asking God for stuff. Stop praying to God for stuff and start declaring and decreeing and taking authority. Well, what do they do with Matthew, the sixth chapter? Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. That sounds like praying to me. And Jesus said, and when you pray, our Father, you ask God, give us this day our daily bread, etc. Uh, so Jesus, and by the way, Jesus prayed. He didn't just declare. Now, if anybody had authority to just declare and decree without praying, it would have been him. But the Bible says that he prayed, and sometimes he spent nights in prayer. So mm, if Jesus had to do it, I guess prayer is good enough for me. But no, Declaring and decreeing, so now they're telling you not to pray, which is a direct disobedience to God. We, we are called to pray and we are called to ask. If you ask anything in my name, then I will do it. He didn't say if you declare and decree it. He said if you ask, and so we ask. We don't declare and decree. 
you pray. We do not declare and decree. That's metaphysics. That's mind over matter. And that doesn't work. And as Christians, we don't practice that. That's one of the subtle things that, that, that comes into the church. Astrology, you know, mind over, over matter. Um, you know, certain, you know, uh, omen reading. That's another one. Omen reading. So what Christians do, they walk around and they, they see the number 22 pops up several times in a day. Or they see, um, you know, uh, they used to say back in the day, grasshopper shows up, green grasshopper shows up by your house. That means you're going you're gonna to get a lot of money. Um, so Christians are constantly looking for signs. You know, and I hear some of that, especially when you get to these uh, so-called prophets. They get on there and they said, you know, I had a dream and, you know... It was an owl, you know, an owl appeared and I had a dream about this owl and so that means that owl rules the night and so, you know, I, I'm going to conquer darkness. That's omen reading. Uh, that's not, um, that's not biblical. We, we don't, we don't do that kind of stuff. That's, that's things that the world does. One guy said he even got the word of the Lord from a fortune cookie and I was like, well, first of all, fortune cookies are, you know, just manufactured sayings and there's nothing spiritual about it. It's just, you know, it's, it's a fun thing. People look at it, you break the fortune cookie, you read it, and say, okay, and you throw it away. I don't put any stock in those things. And there are no hidden messages. God's not giving you messages through fortune cookie. So that's what I'm talking about, not allowing the world to squeeze you into its mold where we start buying into the things of the world, that the world teaches or believes, uh, particularly in the area of what is spirituality. That's That's something we definitely don't want to do. As believers. So, pure and undefiled religion is to keep yourself also unspotted from the world. Not allowing the world to squeeze you into its mold. Or to bring its way of thinking into the church. Uh, one other thing that the, this, the world likes is that they like these... Uh, and some of these are not bad, by the way. I like TED Talks. And some people, you know... But... TED Talks are fine, they're good, they're motivational, and you can you can get a lot of good uh, information out of that and, and how to live and how to conduct your life, etc. So beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But it doesn't belong in the pulpit Sunday morning. You shouldn't be getting a TED Talk on Sunday morning service. You should be getting the gospel preached to you and being taught the word of God in its entirety. have to hydrate there and the word of God in its entirety from cover to cover that's what you want you want to be in a church where they open that Bible and they teach the word of God not just as motivational speech and uh, where everything has to be about you another way the world squeezes into its mold is that churches use marketing techniques they pay some guy at Madison Avenue or whatever researchers um, and they go out and they do research and they figure out how to get you into church and they give you what you want. And so now there are churches that serve beer, for example. There are churches that, um, that are just motivational speeches. They, they're, they're allegedly called seeker-friendly. So you come in there and, and you get a very watered-down version of the gospel and they try to be as inoffensive as possible. Now, let me say this. There are things in the God. The gospel is inherently offensive because it's not natural to man. Law is natural to man, but the gospel is, and grace is not natural to us. And 
so there are some things in the Bible that are offensive. Now, I do not, when I teach and preach, I do not go out of my way to offend anyone. But if I'm going through a text, as far as I'm concerned, the text says what it says. And I can't worry about, you know, who may get offended. Uh, you know, yes, we should speak the truth in love. And hopefully you're preaching the truth of God's word in love. Hopefully I'm, I like to believe I'm doing this podcast as a labor of love. Um... You know, there is, you know, if somebody asked me, said, well, you know, are you, are you making any money off of this? And I'm like, no, not, you know, people can donate if they want. It's there on the Spotify thing. But again, I'm not doing this for the finances. I'm doing it to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. So that's my focus. And that's what I'm talking about. Not letting the world squeeze you into its mold. But these guys get in Madison Avenue and they bring people in and then it's supposed to be secret friendly and they water it down because they don't want to offend anybody. And, you know, especially when it's going to affect your bottom line, which is a dollar. And, but not also on this podcast. We just give out the truth of God's word. It says what it says. And that's it. And uh, that because we don't want the world to squeeze us into its more. We're not going to capitulate to uh, worldly thinking and and turn it into a um, into an industry or a business. We're not we're not doing that. We're gonna preach the word of God and teach the word of God, and that's the way it goes. Having said that, we need to continue to strengthen ourselves. So that we don't allow the world's way of thinking to squeeze you into its small life. If you've ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress, I want to talk a little bit about that. Maybe probably in another podcast about uh, there's a part, there's a section in the book called Vanity Fair, where uh, Christian and and Pilgrim arrive in this town called Vanity Fair, and everything in that in in Vanity Fair is designed to take their focus and their eyes off of Christ and focus it on the things of the world. So they have all the pretty trinkets and the baubles and the entertainment. I think A.W. Tozer said that the, the, the less people have internally, the more they need externally. And so the less spiritual a, a saint is, the more entertainment he needs from the world. And he actually wrote a whole piece I, I recommend everybody read. It. It's called The Great God Entertainment by A.W. Tozer. And... um See if I can pull that up here. It's called the, the Great God Entertainment. Wow, yeah, that's that's that's, that's something. Um, and a lot of things. One of the things that one of the things that entered into the church is is uh, in terms of worldliness is entertainment replacing word genuine worship. Hence the term, the great God entertainment. And that's by A.W. Tozer. You can, you can Google it and it'll come up. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. And I guess we can kind of use this as the last segment. Um, the great God entertainment is ardently worshipped by many, by many. There are millions who cannot have who cannot live without amusement. 
Life without some form of entertainment for them is simply intolerable. They look forward to the blessed relief afforded by professional entertainers and other forms of psychological narcotics. As a dope addict looks to his daily fix of heroin, without them, they could not summon courage to face existence. He's making some extreme statements here, but you get the point. No one with common human feeling will object to the simple pleasures of life, nor to such harmless forms of entertainment as may help to relax the nerves and refresh the mind exhausted by toil. Such things, if used with discretion, can be a blessing along the way. That is one thing, but the all-out devotion to entertainment as a major activity for which men live is definitely something else. The abuse of a harmless thing is sin. Get that? The abuse of a harmless thing is sin he's talking about. The, gross, the growth of the amusement phase of human life to such fantastic proportions is a portent, a threat to the souls of modern men. It has been built into a multi-million dollar racket with greater power over human minds and human character than any other educational influence on earth. And the ominous thing is that its power is almost exclusively evil, rotting the inner life and, and crowding out the external thoughts, which should fill the souls of men. Eternal thoughts, which should fill the souls of men. The whole thing has grown into a, a veritable religion, which holds its devotees with a strange fascination, and a religion, incidentally, against which it is now dangerous to speak. Now, Tozer died in 1963. You think he was alive today. Because what you find in a lot of churches now is entertainment. Very, the worship service is, very, is, is highly produced, slick, and very professional. and very. But it's, it, but it's more entertainment than genuine worship before God. And that's what, uh, what I mean by allowing worldly influences to come in. Now, you can't put a band up there and singers... And not have some element of entertainment in it. Even in the smallest church, it's there. I, I get that. But we can't allow the entertainment to overtake genuine worship, is, is what I'm arguing here. As opposed to, um, rather than using the entertainment to enhance the worship, we allow entertainment to become the major thing. And now I feel like I'm at a theater watching a movie or something. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm at a rock concert. Uh, I see I see no difference between sometimes the worship and, and the rock concert. And, and I'm not sure. Or some of the the, the words are vague. I'm, I don't even know who we're talking about. And uh, maybe I'll do something on gospel music. Um, but if I do, just buckle your seatbelts because it's going to be, a lot of you are going to get offended because we're going to touch a lot of the songs. The lyrics, I, I, I'm not concerned about the artists, I'm more concerned about the lyrics. And I'm going to show you some, some of these lyrics. Uh, and some of these songs that we worship to, allegedly, in churches, aren't saying much of anything. And uh, somebody said, well, do you like the hymns? Yes, I'm, one of the things that, mistakes I'm, I think we made, we jettisoned the hymns, and that's not cool. Because the hymns are rich in theology. Now, having said that, there are some hymns that never should have been written. They're horrible. Um, but again, it's not about whether hymns versus contemporary. It doesn't matter. If it if the lyrics are not good, we shouldn't be singing it. And that's my point.
Thank you once again for listening to this edition of The Sword and the Spirit. We hope that the things that we've been saying through these podcasts have been helpful and beneficial to you. If you have any questions or thoughts, you can reach me at rhyd12001 at gmail.com. And those of you who may know me personally, you know my number. Just give me a buzz. But I, I just want to thank everybody. And I know they're long, but... Um, as long as they are, know that they are not exhaustive. There's a lot more that I could say, but we're trying to take small bites here. And hopefully, like I said, I've said some things that will help us to grow and to uh, mature in our walk with God and become stronger. So if you have an ear to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Not what Don Reimer is saying. You don't want to hear what I'm saying, but you want to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And so that's who you're listening for. So God bless you and thank you. And if you don't know the Christ and the forgiveness of your sins, then you need to know him today. Write to me and contact me. and We'll be more than happy to go over um, the means of salvation. But it's really simple. I'll just give it to you now right quick. Believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has raised him from the dead, and confess him with your mouth, and the Bible says you shall be saved. God bless you and thanks for listening in and please scroll through. When you go to Spotify, scroll down and look at some of the other podcasts, particularly the interviews that I've done. And we have some more interviews coming. It's just a matter of getting uh, the timing right to get the guests on the podcast. And we will go from there. God bless you and thank you so much, like I said, once again for listening.